Hello and welcome to Setting the Skein. I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Tristan. I'm Elijah. And wow, we're, we all made it this week, guys. I'm so happy. We we broke the cycle. We I broke so the cycle. I am so stinking proud of See, each and but every here's, one of us. Here's how we're going to counter it, though, Ben. Next <laughs> week, none of us are going to be on. Well, we're going to bring in right. a whole secondary cast to record the entire oh. podcast without us. Oh, don't oh. me. So who are we gonna get? Okay, so uh, so Amberly and Jessica one hundred percent would do it if okay. I asked them. Um, and uh, Willem Dafoe, we know you're listening. You can come and host. Uh, Logan would do it. Stone would do it. <laughs> yeah. So okay, hey, look. I, I feel like we need a ringer though to host. So I, I think Willem is Willem probably Defoe. the safe bet there. We'll have we'll have a <laughs> panel of five. We'll have a panel of five with Willem Dafoe as the almighty judge. Well, you know, Willem Dafoe is known for his podcasting, so. If that man did put out a podcast, I would I would want it injected directly into my ear holes. I almost said eyeballs, but. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, that took a so, turn. This bit, uh, one for the one for the history books. Ben, why don't you ask me what movie we watched this week? Hey, Doug, what movie did we watch this week? Ben, that's a great question, dude. That was totally unprompted, y'all. This week we <laughs> took our first foray into Martin Scorsese's movies with 2002's Gangs of New York. Wait, Doug, Starring... I have a question. Yes, is it pronounced Scors- uh, Scorsese or Scorsese? Scorsese. <laughs> Okay. It's Scorsese. It might actually, it might be Scorsese, what? but it's either Scorsese or Scorsese, and I know that you were just making a joke, but yes. Um, starring Daniel Day-Lewis, Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio, Cameron Diaz, Liam Neeson for five minutes, John C. Riley, Henry Thomas, Brendan Gleeson, a bunch of other folks. Uh, yeah, this movie... Jim Broadbent. Okay, yes, Jim Broadbent. Um, I mean, really a star-studded cast. It is, it is. Um, currently holds a 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb, a 73% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 72% on Metacritic, and an 89% on Google. Uh, this movie, like I said, was made in 2002 for a bud- on a budget of $100 million and grossed... Let's see. Let's see. One hundred ninety-three million dollars. Um, so you know, broke broke even, and then made a little bit of a profit. Uh, was nominated for ten Oscars and won none of them. Yeah. Wow. Gentlemen, uh, hey, that's what, ten what more Oscars than I've been nominated for. So I mean, I <laughs> I still say well done. That's nine more than the rest of us have been nominated for. Yep. Um, that one time back in Bermuda. Okay, <laughs> gentlemen, uh, anybody have any experiences with this movie? I've never seen it. I've never seen it. Uh, I had seen it several times. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, yeah, I did. Your I mom saw or your dad take you to see it? No, neither. I mean, neither. I didn't see this movie. Actually, I saw it on TV. So I guess maybe like a like a cut of it or sometime when I was younger. Good. I was a teenager. But, uh, butter. You know, like butter? All right, sorry. Butter? Um, <laughs> I saw it then, and then I saw it again later on when I actually, you know, could see the whole thing not cut up. And, uh, much like, you know, what the what one of the characters does in this film. And, uh, yeah, Hello. I'd seen it. Tristan with the jokes today. I'd seen it before. <laughs> And I even uh, I even watched a bunch of clips of it before this movie to remind myself of the of the film because I it's been a couple of years since I've seen it and I sorry ever, sorry 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 dear listeners I didn't have time to watch it this week but I remember the movie pretty well so I just want to say to our listeners um, that that's that's the difference in dedication between Tristan and I because he did not watch it this week I was up at 2 a.m. watching it this morning so you know no, Doug that's... no you were according to what I saw you were up way later than that I was well, but started. I started watching it at 2 a.m. um I also Good. just well, want to... and I watched it at a normal hour uh, well I uh I also well, just want I watched to point it out... at a normal hour I also just want to point out that uh one <laughs> other actor in this movie who I'm actually a big fan of and I just want to kind of give him a shout out uh, was Lawrence Gilliard Jr. Uh, when I 
I never know that he's gonna be in a movie, but when he shows up, I'm like, what's up? How, how you doing, he man? In? He's Derek in The Warboy, and he's Bob in The Walking Dead, and yeah, I don't know, I just like seeing him in movies and stuff. I find him, I find him to be a really good actor and really entertaining, um, so it was good to see him in this. Okay, who did you play in this movie? I just don't know him. Sorry. Uh, he is Jimmy Spoils. Oh, okay. He was the black guy that was in their gang. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Well, so we're talking about the cast, how do y'all feel about the cast of this movie? I'm impressed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We I'd found honestly, a Daniel... Go ahead. I mean, I'm, I think we're talking about the same thing. We um, found a Daniel Day-Lewis movie that I actually enjoy. Yeah. Uh, honestly, Daniel Day Lewis blows it out of the water with this. Well, well, Doug, did, so you you enjoyed the movie, but did you enjoy his performance? I enjoyed his performance. I never said I like like. I think the movie's fine, but I really did enjoy his performance. Well, now, Doug, I like Ben. I read the IMDb trivia, and I was reading all this stuff about how. Daniel Day Lewis never broke character when the cameras weren't rolling. That yeah, that waitresses doesn't. Yeah, at restaurants just, were afraid to come near him, and he, got he was getting fights. in fights with people. Yeah, yeah. Just because I like his performance doesn't mean I think his his whole method acting thing is a complete shtick and kind of makes him like a piece of crap. I, I that mean, was the impression I was under from what you've said about him in the past. Yeah, no, like I think it's cheap blood. and I think it's lazy, but I mean. If I finally found a movie where I was like, hey, it worked. It was good. I should also say that I also like him in um, The Crucible, uh, in which I'm pretty sure he also was like a piece of crap. But, uh, but yeah, no. Just because I like his performance doesn't mean I condone his actions. It's been a long time since I have read The Crucible, but he plays the he plays John. He plays like John he Proctor? Probably... Mm-hmm. Is he a is he a rude dude in that movie? I don't remember. Or in that no, I mean he's just John Proctor. He oh. uh, he he's just he's he's living his life, and then a woman uh starts accusing folks of witchcraft. Okay, yeah, that's the part I couldn't remember was the whole plot of the book. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so what did you guys think of old Leonardo? That's, I mean, I think he does a really good job. Uh, I will say I don't know that this is necessarily. He wasn't the one that kept my attention for this movie. Oh, no, I don't think he was meant to be. Oh, I think he 100% was meant to be. And he did keep my attention pretty well. I mean, I mean for I... the most part, but, like, if he was on screen with, um... The Butcher. Yeah, uh, with Daniel Day-Lewis, I was watching him. Uh, yeah. Honestly, even some of the scenes he was in with Cameron Diaz, like, I was more focused on her and what she was doing than what Leah was doing. Yeah. I don't think he, he was a bad character. He just wasn't necessarily well, that, the attention uh, grabber all the time. Right. That's, that's 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 what I'm saying. I mean, he he was he was a, a vessel for the the revenge plot of this movie, and he, I mean, he he's a big character. Like he's super important. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's a, it's about his story. Um, <clears throat> but the, the characters that are surrounding him are way more vibrant, I guess. I. Yeah, I I was not really a big fan of his performance in this movie. I it got old really fast, like and I, I was not a fan of it. This was at like the point of Leo's career where people stopped looking at him as like that guy who was in Romeo and Juliet or in that or as that guy who was in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Um and it's in his post-Titanic career where everyone's like, this dude should win an Oscar. And I think this is the, fir- the first movie in that trend of movies that he put out where everyone's like, he needs to win an Oscar. And he did not deserve an Oscar for this movie. I need to see if he was nominated for an Oscar for this movie. I'll check. Because he won 100% should not have won it. He didn't win it if he was, but he shouldn't have won it. Um, All right, well, whether it was the Oscar winner or not, I would just want to say his performance was really good. I mean, it's your opinion. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, well, go ahead. He was not nominated for an Oscar with us. Okay, well, good. Well, Doug, 
Doug, what did you not like about it? Okay, there's one really big thing, and I don't care if this was a director's choice or anything like that, but I have I had a really big problem with it. Um, I don't like the fact that his accent keeps coming in and going out, because it rang to me like... To give you a really contemporary example, it read like Elizabeth Olsen's accent, and... Uh, as Wanda Maximoff in the MCU, in which it sometimes is there, it sometimes is not, and it has taken the MCU, I think, five movies and seven episodes of a TV show to explain, like, why it keeps going in and out. And unless you're going to explain why it keeps going in and out, don't have it. And, like, Leo's a good actor, so, like, even if that was, like, a director's choice... Please just have him speak in the accent the entire time. Don't make him keep going in and out because it sounds like he's messing up as an actor. It sounds like he's failing in that per- part of his performance, and I do not care for it. Well, well, it's it was absolutely a, a decision they made. Their accent coach was doing his job training Leo to speak with an accent that sounded more like a second-generation Irish-American immigrant. And you know, Doug, accents do change a little bit. You should hear me when I get around my family. I'm super country when I get around my family. Yeah. I'm not that. saying the accents can't change or anything like that. I'm saying when you have this movie where every other actor and every other character maintains at least some semblance of an Irish accent throughout the entirety, or every character that should have an Irish accent maintains an Irish accent throughout at least the majority of their role, and then you have little old Leo who hops back and forth so many times. Like, you can even look at, like, Johnny, his friend. Like, Johnny speaks in an Irish accent the entire time, and it's annoying. But Johnny's been around like these Irish people who are older than both of them and who came from Ireland. Um, and like, like he, he's been exposed to it the whole time. I get that. <laughs> but this is my point. Okay. <laughs> if Leo hasn't been around them for 16 years, then he either needs to not have an Irish accent, just speak like Leonardo DiCaprio. Cause you have to think he wouldn't be around that accent for 16 years. Um, and, you know, like Elijah said, like, I mean, your accent can, like, leave you at times. And okay. I would imagine if you're, if you spend 16 years around people who are not speaking in that accent, you're gonna <laughs> lose it. Not only are you gonna lose it, you're probably going to, like, completely remove it from your uh, vernacular entirely. Doug, so how many then. people do you know who had a thick accent... Uh, and then spent many years away from the people who sp- speak that way. I currently don't. Oh. I know somebody who does. I know somebody, uh, an older lady from Scotland, who still speaks with a noticeable accent, but it's the type of thing where you go, what accent is that? And then somebody tells you she's Scottish. Oh, Scottish, got it, yeah. Right. I don't know. It didn't bother me that much. It bothered me. <laughs> I had a problem with it. It was probably the biggest thing that I had against his whole performance. Um, and to, to I wanted to make a point about Marvel and Wanda Maximoff. I mean, the MCU has been around for almost 15 years, if you can believe it. And, uh, heck, they, they probably didn't know what they were doing, honestly. Like, it's, it's changed hands, like small hands, over the years. I don't know. Who knows the creative decisions they had earlier? Well, that's it probably all fine. wasn't intentional what they did with that. Well, that's all fine and good. The point is that they made it work contextually in the end. It took them 15 years, but they made it work. Yeah, but this is one movie where they made it this anyway. And technically, it does work contextually. They just didn't say, hey, uh, he, he grew up. He still has a little bit of the accent. Okay, they, whatever. Whatever. He, I'm done with it. He did explicitly say that he's from here, you know, right. so that was part of it. Doug, we're, we're going to continue raining hell upon you <laughs> until you change your mind. Okay? That's fine. Hey, here's you, a topic. Can, you can do that, but I will leave. Well, you so, know what I think it is? I think it was a director's choice for Leo to do that. Yeah, and that's fine. 
I think it was a dumb director's choice, but that's my opinion. Tristan's allowed to like There Will Be Blood, even though it's a piece of shit movie, but that's his opinion. And I'm allowed to think it's a terrible movie, but that's my opinion. Therefore, let me think that Leo's accent is a terrible director's choice because it's my opinion. Sorry, Doug. Uh, Film opinions uh, are actually objective things now, uh, so you're wrong. My opinion is that your opinion's wrong, Doug. (laughs) That's all I gotta say. So Cameron Diaz is in this movie, you guys. And she was better than Leo. (laughs) It was weird when she showed up, but she was better than Leo. It was surprising. When I looked at the cast list, I was like, Cameron Diaz? Really? Because my brain goes to Shrek. You know what I'm saying? Mine goes to the mask. I I guess she looks like she could be... Like... Irish? Is she Irish? I don't remember. Is she I Irish? Know. I don't know. I don't really care. I think she does a great <laughs> well, job. She's not very important in the movie. Like, or I guess. Yeah. She's no, fine. but I mean, she's good. <laughs> yeah, she did do a bad job. She's better than Leo. <laughs> yeah. I guess so, yeah. But um, then again, like, he's. He, whatever. She was nominated for a Golden Globe for this movie. Um, Not Oscar though. Good for good for her. That's <laughs> out the actor. I don't Daniel see it. Day Lewis was the only one who was nominated for an Oscar for this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this movie also features at least two professors from Hogwarts. Yes. So that's fun. Oh. Yeah. Brendan Gleeson was great. The other one was great. Whose name I can't remember. Jim, Jim Broadbent. Who he also was great. played Professor Kirk in the Chronicles of Narnia. With yes. All references tonight. Yeah. Um, I do want to kind of uh, I want to talk about one actor in this movie okay. who I loved every minute he was on screen, and the fact that he was on screen uh, made me want to just kind of double down on this point. People in our current people our age and in this current generation, they are sleeping. On, they're sleeping on this major talent, the major talent that John C. Riley has. He is such a phenomenal character actor. He's so good in this, in Boogie Nights, in Walk Hard, the story of Dewey Cox. And people just know him as uh, Cal Naughton from Talladega Nights, or they just know him as Dale from Step Brothers. And that's fine. He's very good at um he's very good at um at comedy and that's fine however the man was nominated for a freaking oscar he is a phenomenal actor and it hurts my soul when people only know him from his comedic work because he's got and he said before that he's gotten shoehorned into that dumb comedy box and he wants to get out of it because he's so freaking good and the man can sing and he holds a better accent than leo in this movie um yeah even the the king studio of shoehorning marvel uh took him and put him in a comedic ish role yeah he's so good right i know him from being uh on check it out with dr steve brule I watched that back in the day. Again, that's fine. He's so good. He's so freaking good. And, like, you can even watch his, like, more, like, lighthearted roles, like Wreck-It Ralph, and he brings so much heart to that character. I I love John C. Riley, and I hate the fact that people only know him for, like, two things. Because it's, mm-hmm. it's disgraceful. Well, Doug, when you said... I want to talk about another actor, and I love every minute he's on screen. I thought you were going to say all five of them. I'm talking about Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson I'm sorry. Was, I froze. Incredible. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Liam Neeson was great for all five minutes. Because, you know, again, people our age, we know Liam Neeson as Rachel Ghoul, Qui-Gon Jinn, and Brian Mills from Taken. So and even it's then, always... I don't think people know him as Brian Mills. I think they know him as that guy from Taken. Right. Well, I mean, you know, I'll show the character respect because I know his name. 
Um, that makes one of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's always funny to watch a movie where a character who, who like an entire generation knows him as like this really awesome dude who like can destroy people. Like he kicks so much. I mean, he's so good at like fighting people and like mm. killing them, and like he's such like a badass. And then he dies in the first five minutes of the movie. And I just find that yeah. really funny. Yeah, I didn't think about it until we mentioned him before we started recording, but he's a little bit of a Sean Bean, isn't he? Mm-hmm. He is. He is. So if I remember correctly, Scorsese actually at one point wanted him to be Bill the Butcher. Uh, I thought he was originally supposed to be Monk. That's what it is. That's what it is. Character. And yep. then he asked if he could play priest instead. Right, that's it. I know he was considered for another role, but yeah, that's it. Huh. So, how do y'all feel like Scorsese did with this movie? So, I know that we don't have a ton of experience collectively with Martin Scorsese, but um, just like in general, what'd you like about his direction here? What'd you not like? Well, being the experienced uh, director that I am, I can talk on the subject a good okay. bit. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty good. It's a pretty good direction. <laughs> so, yeah. for, well, thank you for, for that, that. Uh, deep analysis. Um, thank you. Thanks. Doug, you looked like you had something you were going to say on that. So, table. so the main like. The main parts of Martin Scorsese's career that I've watched have been his later movies. So, like, watching something like The Departed or um, or Wolf of Wall Street, it's a very different flavor than a movie like this. Um, and I really, a movie I really want to watch to compare with this is The Irishman, because I know that The Irishman and Gangs of New York were both passion projects of his. That's not to say that he wasn't passionate about things like The Departed or... Wolf of Wall Street was another past project of his apparently that's what right. I heard um, but Gangs of New York definitely feels like a different flavor than Wolf of Wall Street and The Departed because Wolf of Wall Street and The Departed feel like not to like downplay them because I do think they're both great mov- movies but they're like movies made by a director for a job and I think a lot of that job was to try and get Leonardo DiCaprio an Oscar, but um, he got it eventually. Well, Martin didn't do it. Well, um, but um, but it's it's interesting to look at to look at Gangs of New York as like something that this director is clearly passionate about, and like there are certain things that he just does differently. Like I think his editing style is very different in this movie that is in either The Departed or in um, or in Wolf of Wall Street. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, this that's, is a that's movie that he's been trying to put together since the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's had numerous different people that um, he wanted to cast in it, from Robert De Niro, Mel Gibson. Um, I think there were some others that... Willem Toby Dafoe. McGuire. Toby McGuire, yeah. Well, uh, friend. Sarah Michelle Geller. Yeah. Uh, huh. I so, could actually see her in this role. I yeah, 100% she, could see her in this role. Apparently she was going to do it, but there were conflicts because of Buffy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah she was uh, originally cast in um, Cameron Diaz's role. Well, I'm like Ben in that there's a lot of well-known movies I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure this is the first Martin Scorsese film I've watched, at least all the way through. Um, started watching The Departed and really wanted to finish it, but I never got to. So I think this is the only Martin Scorsese film I've seen all the way through now. Um, but it was enough for me to know why he's such a big deal. I thought this movie was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. That's a, I will say I I don't love that it was almost three hours. Um but I mean, for the most part, I get it. I don't. I don't feel like there was a ton that could have been cut out. Um, I think there's probably some stuff that could have been sped up a little bit. But overall, like, I, I like don't what? It. Um, I mean, I don't know if of anything. You can think of anything. Like right off the top of my head. Um, yeah, I, I like. 
I think a lot of these these movies that I mean Martin Scorsese is known for doing right he's long, known for making long really long films he's not in a and, hurry to tell his story right now I, I agree with with what both y'all are saying however I do think that going back to Ben's point I think one way that he really succeeds is the fact that there's very little fat in the mm-hmm. movies that he makes like yes they are long but you actually need all of it for it yeah. to make sense for it to work as a whole yeah. and I think that that takes a level of skill um, as a director because you know let's let's bring up our friends at the MCU because um, they made Endgame a three hour movie three hours long they made a three hour movie just to be like we did this and you're going to <laughs> revel with us in the fact that we did it Mm-hmm. And, and Endgame didn't need to be three hours long. <laughs> no, Endgame could be like an hour long, and you would get the exact same thing that you need out of it. Yes, as much as I love Marvel, I I will take any moment to yeah. poop all over it. Um, <laughs> it's just it's like there's so many scenes in those movies where mm. it's like I guess we're gonna stare at each other quietly for you know ten minutes yeah. and just talk slowly while yeah. we can. Speed this up, maybe, and do it in two minutes. Mm-hmm. We didn't stare broodingly at each other. So, not to get too far off on, too far off topic on that. Uh, my favorite Marvel films are the ones where they don't team up, right? Because like all the team ups, they're just eh. They, yeah, they missed the mark for me. Hey guys, what's up? It's your good pal Ben, and y'all already know I'm here to give you some announcements. First things first, thank you all for listening. It really does mean the world to us that you would take time out of your busy day to come listen to us, so thank you. Next, coming up this Sunday, that's right, just a few days from now. I'm sure you all know what's happening this week. That's right, the Snyder Cut is finally being released. And you know that we would not pass the opportunity to talk about it. So be sure to tune in this Sunday, that's March 21st, at 7.30 on the Vider Media Facebook page. Me and the rest of the guys are going to be talking about the Snyder Cut, and we'll see if it's actually a good movie. I really don't know what to think yet, because I haven't watched it, because at the time of recording this and the time of it being released, it has not come out yet. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. In the meantime, be sure to keep up with everything the Vider Media is doing. You can keep up with us on social media at Viter Media and check out new episodes of Tea with Doug G every Monday night and new episodes of Setting the Skeen every Wednesday. Now let's get back to the show. Well, this movie was long, but I did not think it was slow at all. And you know, when we were talking about doing this movie, y'all kept talking about how long it was, and I didn't even look up the runtime. I just assumed because you guys said it was long that I should uh, maybe just break it up and watch it in two sittings, which I did, uh, but I wished I hadn't because I like watched a little over half of it and then was like, I need to go to bed and I shut the computer off, and I watched the rest of it today. Uh, but I wished I had watched it in one sitting because it really kind of sucked me in i really wanted to know what was going to happen next yeah which part did you uh, stop it at listen i stopped after uh amsterdam's failed attempt to kill the butcher at the celebration <laughs> and then the butcher brands his face oh. and that was the part where i stopped it and Oof. i went that's intermission <laughs> yeah that's a good spot yeah, yeah. Yeah, and now, but I went I went to bed going, man, I'm I can't wait to see what happens next. Wow. Now, actually, cuz I thought about that when I was watching it this morning. Um, cuz that's actually a really good point cuz he branded his face and I was like, okay, that's the end of act 2. But we still have like an hour and a half to go. Like, I mean, I'm all for a really long climax, but like it can't be that long. Because I think I had this... I I mean, with, with any revenge movie, you know, like, your audience is going to feel cheated if you don't get revenge by the end of it. So, like, I knew that, like... 
I knew that Amsterdam was going to win at the end, but I was like, okay, we have an hour and a half, so what's happening? Because Elijah, I thought exactly what you thought. I was like, the minute the brand went on, I was like, okay, this is our halfway point. Like, this is this is the end of the second act. This is all the buildup that we need. Everything else is going to be resolution. And it's not. It's the first climax. <laughs> it's, it's a fake climax, because, like, you... You then get into political intrigue, which I'm finding out that I really enjoy in a movie. Yeah, um, yeah. if you didn't have a little bar to look at to see how much time was left in the movie, that scene, you would think, was about to be the end. And, I mean, the the movie really... You, you kind of feel like you know where it's going, but I wasn't so sure, and it really did have me guessing. And also, and I guess we'll get to this later... Um, the ending wasn't exactly the typical revenge film ending either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's a fair statement. Um, I I will say that very quickly, my favorite part of this movie kind of did become the whole like build up between fake climax and actual climax. Like that little forty minute segment became my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, because it was like. I don't know, there's something about building up an army and then also some political intrigue of, like, of like we got to get these people on our side because they're clearly going to be the ones to win, and if they win, then that will be votes for us. And I was like, okay, this is really intriguing. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, and he, he comes out of his cave after he recovers. Leo hangs that uh, dead rabbit in the square. And it's like, it's on. It's oh, on. Yeah. And then they start sending each other violent messages back and forth, and it's like, oh, crap, where is this going? It was good. Um, yeah. So, uh, speaking of that, you know, we've, we've talked about, we've talked about the, the revenge plot that we see in this movie, um, and though we haven't, like, talked about a movie that's specifically a revenge plot movie... Um, it is an interesting uh, device to use in a film. Excuse me, I think we can call Legally Blonde a revenge movie. Go on, sir. Your your reasoning. Well, <clears throat> uh, at the beginning of the film, you've got Elle and her boyfriend, who pretty much says, "You're never Warner. going to right Warner. Warner." Who says, "Essentially, you're never going to amount to anything. Uh, you're always just going to be the." So she's like, ahem, no, and gets revenge by getting into Harvard Law and then graduating with honors and getting a really good job. Boom, revenge plot, lawyered. Okay. That is kind of what happens. I mean, <laughs> In a nutshell. It, it, it basically is what it is. Um, but, um, but, uh, but, yeah. Um, so... I feel like a revenge plot movie can be done either really well or really poorly. Look at something like John Wick, where the entire thing... I know, Ben, I know you haven't seen the movie. Tristan and Elijah, have y'all at least seen it? What the heck? (laughs) I know, Doug, it's on my list. I just haven't gotten around to it. Okay, well, I can't talk about it then because I'm going to spoil the whole thing. Yeah, I don't want to know. But you're saying it's a good revenge plot. It's a great revenge plot. It's so simple. It's based on there is one transgression. Oh, I know. I know what it is. The entire movie is about getting revenge for that one transgression. Yeah, and it's phenomenal. And what it does really well is it actually shows you the fallout from what happens when you do get revenge on someone. Um, Because, like, you know, obviously you can't just, like, take somebody out and there be zero consequences. Uh, like, you're telling me. Um, <laughs> okay, well, let me think of, like, another revenge plot movie that works. Um, you, you look at something like... You look at something like... Spider-Man uh, 3. Yeah, yeah, that actually does kind of work. Kind of. Um, well, it's not the protagonist's revenge plot, though, right? Yeah, it's not the protagonist's revenge plot. It's the revenge plot of what if we have three villains who all want revenge on Spider-Man? Technically, two and a half. Um, 
But let's get three villains who all want revenge on our hero, and let's literally just beat him to a pulp. And that's great. I'm here for that. Um, so right. what, Doug, what are you getting at with this revenge plot from Gangs of New York? I think there are a lot of places where this movie could fail as a revenge plot movie because for a long time it does feel like, it feels like we're going to build it up to where Amsterdam or Bill kill each other and then that's going to be the end of it. Because that's why I felt like at the beginning, with uh, with the priest being killed, I was like, there's really no fallout. There's no fallout. Like, I mean, obviously, we're setting up a revenge story. But, like, there's no fallout. That's dumb. That's actually so stupid. But I think where it succeeds is it shows the fact that both characters are kind of remorseful for the fact that like this is all about revenge mm-hmm. at, at, at the end of it they're both kind of remorseful like okay maybe we didn't need to go this far um yeah well it, it's all it's all done in respect too like it's um you know at, at the end uh, you've got bill saying um you know he was like well, well, this wasn't really at the end. This was closer to the end, but he was just talking about how uh, Amsterdam's dad was like a respectful, like he was just very honor. Like I think he's mentioned honor a few times or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he said he I really, killed the last honorable man around here. Right, he really respected him, but they had a feud, like they had a blood feud, and that was that was that. It was like apples and oranges. It was just like bam, that's it. That's now now I'm I have to kill him. You know the character dynamics in this movie are are a really interesting mix of like civility and barbarism and it can change in an instant there's something to be said for a for something like game of thrones where people are constantly pit against each other but like there's like you get the sense that there are rules and there are ramifications for every action that's taken but also, there's a little bit of, like, this is kind of just, we're killing folks for the sake of killing folks. Like, power for the sake of power. Whereas, with this, I think the point that I'm getting at is that it takes a lot for someone to justify uh, death and to justify a feud. And I think that that's where this movie succeeds, is that they handle everything as, like, as, like, a rite of passage, not necessarily a rite of passage, but like, this is the way it has to be. It's almost like an honor among thieves kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, it's like, I would rather us go on and hash out our differences than constantly be working against each other and scheming. Let's go on, kill a few people to hopefully save the rest. (laughs) Yeah. Which is also surprisingly is the mentality of Rachel Ghoul, Liam Neeson's character from Batman Begins. Yeah. Kill a few. That's a that's Save a, a thousand. villain plot. And then the idealistic hero wins. Um those are good stories too. So skipping ahead a little, um talking about the revenge plot thing, I was gonna mention that um this movie doesn't end the way I mean, comparing it to another Leonardo DiCaprio revenge movie, The Revenant, um, the way that the protagonist or the the protagonist finally cuts down their adversary that they've wanted to get revenge on the whole time, but it doesn't turn out the way I thought it would. I mean, they even do the thing where like they allow the main good guy and the main bad guy, so to speak, to fight each other, even in the midst of the chaos. They always do that because it's dramatic. And that's the moment when you think Leo's just going to beat him in the fight and and it you'll taste sweet, sweet revenge. Uh, but that's not really what happens because what, what initially brings the butcher down is a piece of random shrapnel because the police, uh, not the police, but the, the army, the Navy and stuff are blowing cannonballs into New York. Yeah, and uh, a random piece of shrapnel enters his body and weakens him, mm-hmm. and and he's basically dead already. And Leo just comes and stabs him and finishes him off. 
And that seems on its head a little less satisfying. And I think also, I think we're supposed to get the feeling, because this is something that I thought about when that happened, is that it kind of lessens the revenge for Leo a little bit. Because it it's like, Because it's like, well, I didn't take you out. Right. I may have finished you, but like, I didn't... You're not dying because of me. You're dying because of an outside party. I I really I really think that this I mean this is just a commentary on this sort of revenge is like I mean people are going to die. Whatever happens to them is what is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I mean yeah, he he died from a piece of shrapnel not because Leo killed him and was it really worth the chase for you know all those years? Even if half of it wasn't really a chase, and then it became a chase, or whatever it was, you know, like was it worth all that in the end when the butcher just died from a piece of shrapnel, you know? Because Leo jammed a knife into him, but he was he was dead, like you said. So I think I think that's commentary on, you know, what what it what it is to hold a revenge like that for so long, and what it is to be feuding like that, like. You know these these gangs uh, in real life they were feuds. You know this is all based off of true stories, and uh, these gangs held such long feuds. And it's like wasn't really worth it in the end. I don't know who's to say. I think the movie does a good job showing that. I mean, and there's your there's your uh, snippet for the. I mean, because because I I think that. I think that that's what we are supposed to get away from this is that, you know, you know, the minute the shrapnel enters, we as the audience don't go, all right, Leo's won. It's over. It it kind of deflates us a little because it's like, well, yeah, he won, but I mean, he's dead already. Yeah. To, yeah. to quote... To quote a uh, a character from a television show, which I believe is perfect, um, Harry Beltic, who says, "Anger is a potent spice. A pinch wakes you up, but too much dulls your senses." I think that's. I think uh, Tristan's absolutely right in that our the audience's um, takeaway from this is that you know we wanted revenge really badly against butcher because we do see the atrocities that butcher handles like we are made to dislike the butcher but in the end it's like we didn't even get to kill him we we didn't even get we didn't even get that a piece of shrapnel got him yeah also to answer your question ben it's from the queen's gambit um that's good i think there's there's another thing going on there thematically too when he dies because their final confrontation is just gang warfare. And that's what our main characters are focused on, is just the, the battle between gangs that's coming and, and who's going to come out on top. Uh-huh. But other characters, the ones who are more um, like real politicians out there in the world, are the ones pulling uh, strings that, that the gang members don't seem to be thinking about. Um, and, you know, we've got the draft going on, drafting people for the Union Army and... Uh, there's draft riots and just horrible, violent things going on. And the U.S. Army is called in to handle it. And so they're shooting people in the streets during these riots and, and just trying to uh, just put a cap on what they're doing. Um, and it, it happens right after. I think there's like a little hidden thesis statement in there um, when the politicians are like playing pool. You remember that scene? They're playing pool. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. It's after yeah. the riots start happening and right before they send in the army. Um, and and we learn that something that uh, Tweed says a lot is, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact quote. He says, uh, you can pay half the rich, uh, you can pay half the poor to kill the other half. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, I think that's really important because I think that's why, like from a writing perspective, I, I like the I like the things that you guys said about revenge and anger, um, that whole dust to dust thing. But I think there's another thing going on too. I think it's significant from a writing perspective that he's killed by random artillery from the army, um, because those guys turn out to be the ones with the most power, 
and these poor people fighting and killing each other in the streets, uh, they turn out to be just kind of trampled underfoot by the government. You know, and those are the guys who are really, like, running things. They can pay half the poor to kill the other half. I mean, we see that with the racism um, in this movie. You know, like, historically, the, the competition between Irish immigrants and uh, African-American freedmen. You know, we see a lot of racism going on there. Um, Anti-black racism. And it's just... It's it's just one suffering group trying to trying to compete with the other suffering group. And none of them are actually coming out on top. None of them are benefiting from it. They're all taking government shrapnel in the sides. I think that's kind of one thing they want us to come away with. Yeah. That's clever. And true. Yeah, because, I mean... Um... We see numerous attempts on the butcher because we also have the one guy during um, the play that tries to kill him. Um, right. So it's just like one more guy trying to take him down, but is ultimately unsuccessful and kind of adds to that. In in real life, uh, um, Bill, what was his name? Bill Poole, I think? Yeah, William Poole was the uh, butcher. Yeah, he... he um, Hold on, I had it pulled up here. His, his last words in the movie, uh, I die a true American, mm-hmm. is what he <clears throat> supposedly actually said in real life, too, right before he died. <clears throat> so, of course, not in the same context, but I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I mean, I think in context it's really interesting because ultimately he died because of the American army. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> a true American. He yeah, was killed by, by his own American. country. Wow, isn't that right. th- doesn't that tell you something? Huh? And of course, Leo's character Amsterdam is also an American. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, go- going into like particularly the 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 scene where Leo narrates at at the end, like the very end, mm-hmm. um, you know, it shows his grave and everything in New York, like growing behind it. Man, I I um. I felt that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know what in particular made me feel really strongly about that. Um, I, I guess it's like, I mean, it's so many things we've already touched on. It's the fact that like this gang warfare happened and it was so significant for these people at this time. Mm-hmm. But everything, the world keeps changing, you know, and like things still go on, mm-hmm. and the, and the the people, wh- whoever won or lost, is forgotten. Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah. just. We just know that this thing happened. You it know? ends up covered in moss and leaning to one side, and right, and yeah. like you said, just forgotten. Uh, yeah, history forgets a lot of movers and shakers, and mm-hmm. a lot of the blood that was shed to bring us where we are today. Mm-hmm. It's profound. Profound. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it great is. Minds, great minds. Great minds. <laughs> Clearly, it's profound. <laughs> Indeed. Good work, boys. Yeah. Yeah, it so, was a good movie. Yeah. Uh, was there anything in particular that you guys may not have liked, either direction-wise, plot-wise? I feel I've spoken my piece. Right, about Leo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Was there anything else? Or maybe something that you wish uh, we could have spent a little more time on in the movie? Hmm. I don't know why, but I would really like to just... Like, I don't, I don't really need more of this in the movie, because I do think that the movie works as a whole. But, like, if I could get, like, a five or six minutes short of just like uh jenny just kind of like walking around new york like pitpocketing people mm-hmm. and like doing a day's work like mm-hmm. i'd be down for that so apparently scorsese actually hired like a legit pickpocketer to come show cameron diaz how to do it that's kind of amazing yeah and uh um daniel day lewis worked with circus circus performers to learn how to throw knives and then and also, also like the butcher Worked in a butcher shop, yeah. Committed actors. I mean, are they? <laughs> Cameron Diaz, absolutely. Daniel. Mm. You just don't like Daniel Day Lewis. I don't. I don't. I feel I've made that very clear. I do not like Daniel Day Lewis. I'll admit when he does a good piece of work, but I do not like him. So you don't think he prepared well for this role? I think it's. I think. I think it's just a cheap gimmick. I don't think it's like real 
acting. And I'm not going to say that, like, that, like, I understand, like, the epitome of acting. I, because I don't. Um, I'm just some, uh, I'm just some, like, 20-something with a podcast, but I do not like (laughs) the way that he prepares for roles. I don't like the method that he takes when acting, because I think it's lazy. I think it's cheap. I think it's, I think it discounts all of the hard work that other actors put in. Like, I think it's pathetic. Also, if you, also if his reason that, like, he, he doesn't, um that he doesn't do any other method of acting is because he can't get back into a character. Um, that's, that's, I think that that makes you kind of less of a good actor, like a kind of lesser actor. Cause like, I mean, you can look at somebody like Laren Nimoy who played Spock for years and the entire time that he was on Star Trek, he got maybe two hours of sleep every night that they were, uh, shooting and he would make a point to come out of character because if he didn't, like, he would, it would consume him and he would be, like, he wouldn't be Leonard anymore. Like, he needed to separate himself from Spock. So, I, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's dumb. I think it's so pointless and so gimmicky. I hate it. I do not like Daniel Day-Lewis and you can quote me on that. So, and do you feel the will. same way about other actors like that? Uh, I know Jared Leto has had a propensity to do that. Heath Ledger. Uh, during the Dark Knight, yeah, I'll uh, I'll give you a really good example. Um, so Jim Carrey, uh, in uh, in his film Man on the Moon, mm-hmm. uh, made this huge publicity stunt that he would not break character while playing Andy Kaufman, and he even made a documentary about it called Jim and Andy. And literally, it's two hours of him saying, I'm so important that I can be a horrible person to all of my co-stars, all of the production team. I can be a piece of crap to the extras, to friends of, of, uh, of, crap, uh, what's the guy's name? Andy, um, Andy Kaufman. Uh, and it comes across as, as superficial, pretentious. A friend of mine, a friend of mine, uh, Hanson Harden, shout out to Hanson, uh, they said that, you know, it came across as like a very privileged like thing to do. And it's it's so it's so insulting to the work that other actors do to prepare for roles to do this. And for you to just say, well I'm living in their shoes, I th- I think it's lazy. I don't like it. Well, Doug, I I definitely disagree when you say it's lazy because it sounds like it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. But I agree with some of the other words you used. I do think it's a little gimmicky. Yeah. Now, um, and and it is worth. I mean, you pointed out actors who do an excellent job without doing this. So obviously, it can be done. Obviously, you don't have to method act. I want to list another example though um, that I think works well. Uh, I think I've mentioned it to you guys before. Christian Bale is not a true total method actor, but he always, if he's fil- if he's working on a film, he always speaks in the accent of whatever character he's portraying. Even when he's doing interviews, he'll speak in the accent of whatever character it is. So like during the Dark Knight trilogy, he did interviews with an American accent, uh, but he's Welsh. And so there are very few interviews where you hear him speak with his actual Welsh accent because he just doesn't want to screw up the accent on on screen, I guess. Yeah, and um, like that's different, right? Because he's not being a butthole to anybody. <laughs> he's not being a piece of crap. That's, that's not exactly, that's not to say during that, Suicide Squad sending like dead pigs to his co-stars and sending like used condoms to his co-stars. I'm like, no, you're actually just being a horrible person. Yeah, exactly. Because because it's your method. Exactly. Shut up and walk walk away. Go right. away. Go away. <laughs> I'm with you on some of that, Doug, for sure. Hey, Ben and Tristan, was there anything you guys didn't like about the movie? Um, I mean, not anything in particular. I will say I, I don't think I liked it quite as much as y'all, but there aren't like specific moments I'm like, I just didn't really like that. <clears throat> uh, no, I this is uh, one of my top-rated movies. It's on, it's on my list. Um, nice. Top films ever for me. So no, there's not really anything I dislike about this movie. 
it's long. Like, it's not, I'm not, you know, I'm going to go into it knowing that, though. I'm not going to just say, man, gosh, it's so long. Like, of course I know, I know that. Like, <laughs> I didn't know that. So I'm going to make a decision to watch it when I have time. Yeah. No I do not think dance. this movie was too long. I, I think it was well paced. Yeah, I, certainly. I think it was a good length. Yeah. Yep. I don't have anything else on the subject. Let's score this sucker. All right. So if this is your first time listening, we use a pretty simple scale. It's uh, one to a hundred. You can kind of think of it like an American grade scale, uh, which I don't think is confusing. All of y'all who were talking about it it's being not, confusing last confusing. week. All of us. No, excuse me, sir. I was the one who was talking about it. Whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, one to a hundred. Hundred means that it is perfect. It has no flaws. Uh, cannot be broken, Doug. Uh, and then a one means that it is an irredeemable, <laughs> stinking pile of turds. Whatever terminology that we're using on that, because it changes apparently. So who wants to go first? I got you. Cool. Um. Okay. I think it's fine. I think it's not like Martin Scorsese's best work. Um. I don't think it's Leo's best work. It might be Daniel's best work. It might be. <laughs> um, it also might be Cameron Diaz's best work. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm gonna give this a seventy. Okay, just two points higher than I thought I was gonna give it. But I'm gonna give it a seventy. Okay, nice. That was much <clears throat> slower than I was expecting. Yeah, me too. Well, this for me, this movie is uh, on my top list. I have 33 movies on my top movies list because it's just grown and expanded. It used to be 10. Mm-hmm. Um, this is number 32 on that list. And, uh, you know, the, the the as far as our scale goes, I don't know. We've, we've probably done movies on this list. But in rating them, it's not consistent. So don't fact it's check It's arbitrary. Me, um, if you would like to at me, though, uh, go ahead and do it. Um, I'll I'll uh, I'll own up. I'll say I don't know what I'm talking about. So I'll I'll, I'll be the first. To Everything's tell you that made one. up, and the points don't matter. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, anyway, but uh, yeah, I uh, I mean, if I've got the time and I've got the courage, I'll sit and enjoy. I'll enjoy this movie. Uh, I mean, I've seen it a few times. It's it is it is. Uh, I like it a lot. I'm giving it a ninety. Well, I think this okay. is a good uh, opportunity for me to step in here because I'm going to split the difference and give it an 80. Um, I don't... I, I mean, I can without a doubt say that it is a good movie. Um, it's not one that I'm going to be like, you know what I really want to watch? Gangs of New York. Um, but it it is a really good movie. I think Scorsese did a really good job. Uh, I can't say if it's one of his better films or not because I haven't seen a lot of what he's done. Um, well, how many Scorsese movies? I mean, I know we're not experts on the subject, but how many Scorsese movies are do you see and you're like, man, I gotta see that one again? You know, The Departed, Wolf it's of Wall never Street, never both seen. of those but, are. But no, I amazing. disagree on Wolf of Wall Street. Okay, that's fine. All you right, can the be wrong. Isn't about we can Wolf disagree. We can disagree. <laughs> Because I see Wolf of Wall Street and I'm like, got to see it again. Got to see Jonah Hill's performance again. Got to see, dang it, I just forgot his name, John Bernthal's performance again. All right, thank you, Doug. Um, But yeah, uh, I'm going to give it an 80. Elijah, bring it home. Okay, I don't think I like this movie quite as much as Tristan, but I liked it a lot. It really kept my attention. I've I've talked about it with several people. I, I will absolutely see this movie again. I'm excited at the prospect of watching this movie again. And I want to see a bunch of other Martin Scorsese movies. Like I said, I started to watch The Departed once, and I was excited about it, but I never got to finish. Anyway, 89. All righty. Well, after that, plugging that into our patented score-rometer. That gives us a final score of 82.25. So, yeah, it's pretty. it's a pretty solid movie right there. It's certainly not full of holes. Oh, God. That's actually my favorite thing you've ever done. No joke. That's one of my favorite things you've ever done. Doug, why is that your favorite thing that I've ever done? It's because next week we're watching Holes ah! with freaking Shia LaBeouf. LaBeouf. Uh, 
And also, real talk, that cast is also stacked. Like, oh, it's yeah. crazy. Shia LaBeouf and Burton Guster from Psych. That's I'm right. Delay so Hill. Yep. Freaking excited. Weaver. Let's yeah. go. John Voight is in that. Woo! It's going right. to be a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, that will be a fun time. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, be sure to keep up with us. Keep up with us on social media at, at Fighter Media. Also, be sure to check out the other stuff that we've got going on. We've got new episodes of Setting the Skeen every Wednesday and new episodes of Two with Doug G every Monday night at 9. So until next week, I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Tristan. I'm Elijah. And this has been Setting the Skeen. Y'all have a great week. Uh-huh.